So how are you? I'm doing all right. A little sleepy, but okay. Yeah, with you on that. We um, were at a church dinner last night. It's uh, the 120th anniversary of the founding of the church that my wife takes the kids to. And luckily for, I believe, everybody involved, they catered it in. <laughs> is it that because everyone there is also 120 years old? Well, as I believe is the case with most current American churches, the population of the congregations is older than it's ever been in the history of our country. <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, no, it's the facility doesn't really lend itself to cooking for, you know, a hundred and some odd people. So the fact that they brought food in was, was a, a wise choice. Yeah, well, they could have done potluck or hot dish if you're, uh, well, they are Lutheran, aren't they? Correct. I was very surprised that was not the approach, to be completely honest, because like most churches in the country right now, they're not having a great time financially. You know, unless you're a megachurch, unless you're uh, a yeah. Joel Osteen type of uh, grifter, you're uh, you're not you're not exactly swimming in funds. But no, they they ordered in food from this Middle Eastern place, so we had hummus and tabbouleh and uh, oh, wow, kibbeh and uh, dolma and you know, okay, it was it was fine, it was, it was okay, you know. I, I would like to go to the restaurant itself and try their food to see what it's like when it's hot and fresh and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and not being served by, like, children. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. You know, yeah. they had the I, I made a joke that resonated with the table. I was so proud of myself as we were sitting with a couple other adults and their son who was bored out of his mind. This kid was checked completely out. But when the it came time to uh, start clearing the t dishes and all that kind of stuff, one of the kids who came up to the table was clearly like eight years old. And when she left, I said, that's what the Arkansas legislature wants the workforce to look like these days. And like my wife and the other lady got the joke and i don't know if the dad didn't hear or what but uh my wife was not super happy that i was talking about that kind of stuff at church um <laughs> you know hearkened right back to things we've talked about on the show mm-hmm segueing right into <laughs> <laughs> right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to in the weeds of ben randall i am ben randall and i'm stephen gadwell steve we're gonna talk thanksgiving today right yeah, let's do it. Because Thanksgiving is, is very, very close Very at near hand. indeed, yes. Please remind me, you've got a wild Thanksgiving schedule this year. Yes, so Kayla and I already had our own Thanksgiving because Kayla likes to um, fix everything and then we like to have the leftovers around the house. So we did Vetsgiving on Veterans Day and um, nice. that's when we did ours. And then we're going to my folks' place on Thanksgiving and then leaving the next day and heading to Florida um, to... Uh, be at my in-laws for a little while so I can help them around there. They're selling their house and moving um, uh, here fairly soon, within the next year anyway. So uh, there's some little projects they want to get done that I'm going to help them with. And then, yeah, that's my whirlwind. The first time I think I'll actually be traveling on Thanksgiving weekend, though it's not for Thanksgiving, so I'm hoping we're going to miss the the rush traveling the day after. Yeah. In my mind, it's going the opposite direction that everyone else should be going, but I know that's not true. Some people <laughs> would be headed the way yeah. that I'm, you know, not heading. 
it is interesting because you know the company that I work for is all school based, and so the first year I don't know why it, it it struck me as being odd, but the first year that I was there, you know, in our schedule of here are the paid holidays, it is always Thanksgiving and the day after, and I thought that's oddly generous. That's really weird. But no school in this country is open Friday after Thanksgiving, and so that's just built into our expectation of the company. And the company at some point decided like, well. Let's just pay them for it, you know, because it's it's being forced on everybody to be off on Thanksgiving, whether or not you celebrate Thanksgiving or, you know, um, Honda Days or Toyotathon, whatever, <laughs> however you celebrate. But, like, is Thanksgiving a mattress-selling holiday as well, or is that just, like, President's Day? <laughs> I think... I mean, they'll sell you a mattress whenever. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, yeah, President's Day, it's, it's the... Um, uh, They'll, they're probably still doing Columbus Day at the mattress store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's those it's those sort of uh, the incognito holidays that are like, yeah, it's a national holiday, but you don't get the day off. Yeah. yeah. Those kind of holidays are more mattress holidays. But so we get paid Thursday and Friday. I mean, I'm on salary. So I always, when I'm consoling my staff about how much time we have off and how much that impacts their finances, I always say, yeah, no, we get paid for Thanksgiving and the day off, which for me is, I get paid for everything, so... That's not necessarily a lie, but it's not exactly what I'm telling them. But um, travel the day after Thanksgiving? I mean, who's actually traveling on that Friday? You're, you're too full. Where are you going to go? All right. Also, yeah. nothing's open. So I think you'll probably be fine. Yeah, that's my hope. We'll just, yeah, we'll just have to pack snacks. Just the carcass of the turkey in a cooler behind us in the car. <laughs> With a big fork stuck in it. Yeah, we're just <laughs> noshing on that as we're driving. So now... We're going to, we've been very graciously invited to my sister-in-law's house in St. Louis, which is fine. It's right on the edge. Here's the weird thing. Anybody who is drivable for me is about the same distance, right? So if we go to Traverse City from here, five hours and 45 minutes. We go to Detroit from here, five hours and 15 minutes. We go to St. Louis from here. Depends on traffic. 55 can be kind of squirrely. So it's either four and a half or five and a half hours, right? And that's really my limit. That's my upper limit for, like, how long do I want to be piloting a vehicle? But we're going down there. We made two decisions. Uh, my wife made two decisions, which I totally agree with. One of which is we're not staying at our in-laws, at, at her sister's house, right? Again, she very nicely offered to let us stay at the house. Uh, we're not going to do that. And so we're going to stay at a hotel. And we're going down the day before. So we're going to go down on Wednesday, stay in a hotel with a pool, stay there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then we're going to come back to Chicago after that, which I feel pretty good about. Nice. Very nice. What I like about – so there's – what do you prefer, Steve? you prefer hosting or do you prefer going to someplace for Thanksgiving? I will, we've never actually hosted, so I don't know as I can say. Fair. That's fair. Um, I can say – it's kind of like how in summertime people are like, ah, I wish it was winter, it's too hot out. And in winter you're like, oh, it's so cold, I wish it was summer again. I'm that guy. So when I go to somebody's house for Thanksgiving and I'm not hosting, I'm like, yeah, next year I'm doing all this because whatever, right? Like I'll just find some fault with like the food or with whatever, you know, that kind of thing. When I host, I'm like, this was a pain in the ass and I'm going somewhere next year. So I'm never satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> but what's nice about how my sister-in-law is doing it, she's got a very analytical kind of mind. And so the people she invited, it's all family. She still set up an Evite. And she still set up a, we need you to bring a dessert. We need you to bring a side. And it's going to be like, you have to respond on this Evite so everybody knows what everybody's bringing so we don't get like 10 pumpkin pies, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so we're going to be bringing a... Um, 
apple pie focaccia. Have we talked about this yet? No. Oh, man. I will text this to you. This friend of mine sent me this TikTok. I am way too old for TikTok, but I was able to access it on my, you know, Apple 2E computer anyway. Um, <laughs> of someone making an apple pie focaccia, which now that I have looked at it, it's exactly what you would expect out of an apple pie focaccia, right? So it's very fluffy, bubbly dough with a little sugar in it, right? And not like herbs and garlic and whatever like you would get with a focaccia. With diced up apples that have been tossed with sugar and cinnamon and whatever on top and you bake it. And the liquid that comes out of the apples kind of sinks down through the dough and forms a little bit of a caramel on the bottom and it looks fucking amazing. So my daughter and I are going to make that to take down. We're also going to make... My daughter is demanding that we take coleslaw. Not a traditional Thanksgiving dish, but she has a very strong point. Everybody loves coleslaw. And I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know? And why not? Why not coleslaw? That is kind of odd that it isn't part of Thanksgiving, right? Correct. But you know what's really odd about it is that coleslaw, going skipping way ahead to your sandwich thing that you sent me, would be amazing on a turkey sandwich the next day. That's that's the part that I don't understand. Like, why hasn't coleslaw had a place at this table? Now, maybe it does in the South, because there is that. Like, maybe, maybe yeah. in the South you have coleslaw. But I get the feeling you have coleslaw in the South the same way that you have, like, salt on the table everywhere else, <laughs> right? But so we're going to make coleslaw. And I told my daughter, I'm like, look, I don't want to say it like this, but, like, as a chef, there is a certain expectation that when somebody asks me to bring something to a dinner, I'm not just bringing coleslaw. So we're also going to make a roasted sweet potato corn like a bulgur wheat kind of uh apple cider vinaigrette arugula salad thing dried cranberries probably like i haven't figured out all the details yet so we're gonna bring that in componentry so we can mix it while we're there and then my daughter makes these lemon cookies which we've talked about on the show before so we're gonna make blueberry sugar lemon cookies as well oh very nice, so nice. we're bringing about twice as much crap as they asked us to but that's kind of <laughs> what you expect out of me you know are you telling them everything you're bringing, or are you just naming two things and the rest will be a surprise? Uh, well, I told my wife everything we're bringing, and she's in charge of the Evite response. I don't know. Oh, they're okay. going to be fine with whatever we bring. As much as professionally I have to worry about allergies and stuff, it is kind of nice. and I, It's nice to just be able to go, you know what? I'm just making some stuff, and I don't have to worry if somebody's allergic to walnuts or if they can't have gluten or whatever. You know, Because in my professional life, man, like tomorrow, which is Monday... Uh, we are working because it's parent-teacher conferences, usually the last two days before Thanksgiving break. This year, we're doing conferences in person Monday and conferences remotely on Tuesday, which means my staff and I only have to work Monday. Great for me. And But we're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner because people are packing those uh, conferences in. For dinner, I'm going to make a bar cookie that's got pumpkin pie filling on top of it. And reflexively, I found a recipe where the bar cookie itself is gluten-free and the topping is dairy-free. So it's going to be a vegan, gluten-free pumpkin pie bar cookie. It's going to be fine. But, like, after I thought about it, I was like, man, even five years ago, that wouldn't have been my go-to <laughs> to make it all of these allergens free, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what you going to do? Yeah. Very nice. I was surprised to find that at the... Um, church dinner we went to last night and i was by far the least dressed up person at that place but i bet you i was the most comfortable uh they had desserts out and they had baklava and they had a couple other things and then they had a tray of dairy free and a tray of gluten free and a tray of nut free and i was like oh wow everybody is in the same position i am professionally where they have to have this stuff all the time okay i get it that was all baklava the dairy free nut free and uh and what the other desserts were i i didn't look oh, okay, too closely okay. because i had i <sighs> 
one of my Achilles heels, because I have a number of them, cheese, popcorn, things like this. Boy, you put baklava down, I don't see anything else. It could be, here's a tray of baklava, here's a live alligator. I will not know there's an alligator there, right? <laughs> so I went straight for the baklava. And, and I, now, did hear, I did hear someone at that dinner call it balaclava, and I was like, nope, that's not what that is. Isn't that a musical instrument or a, a type of music? No, it's like a scarf hat. Oh, okay. I don't know what the <laughs> instrument is, but I think you're also right about that. I think there's if something you, that's similar, yeah. If you made it out of puff pastry and could eat it, I guess. Yeah. You could have a hybrid. There you go. A yeah. baklava, a balaclava. <laughs> Good luck saying that. It's <laughs> my new improv troupe name. Right, right. So that's going to be my Thanksgiving. I have yet to, like, I have not looked at the Evite because I would prefer to be surprised. And also, like, yes, there's going to be turkey because my sister-in-law is a bit of a traditionalist, which is fine. Yes, there's going to be cranberry sauce. Yes, there's going to be mashed potatoes. They live in St. Louis, which is like the cusp of the South, so I don't really know what sort of interesting things they're going to have. I also don't know exactly what everybody else is bringing. I do sort of want to be surprised. I bet you there'll be some sort of a green bean thing. Yes. Maybe it'll be a casserole. Maybe it'll just be green beans. I don't know. Uh, but I'm excited to find out. The thing about me now is that for a while, people were sort of afraid to cook for me because they didn't know how judgy or whatever I would be because everybody didn't realize that as long as I didn't do the work, it's going to be great, you know? Uh, but people have gotten over that now. <laughs> so now when I go to places, they just want to know if I liked it and what I would have done differently. And I'm happy to have that conversation, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, that speaking of that green bean casserole, that was part of my stall material when I worked at Universal. So I worked at Disaster, a major motion picture ride starring you. Great name. <laughs> Easy to say. Rolls off the tongue. And uh, it used to be the old earthquake ride back in the day. And then it was like you, whatever the that submarine movie was they themed it for u571 is that what it was sure um and then it became disaster and uh the thing was the age of it because it had been there the ride mechanism had been there since the park opened um not infrequently that part would break and when we were in one of the uh previous rooms there were three rooms and then the ride um if it was something or maybe there was a, a full transfer where they needed to get someone uh, transfer someone like from a wheelchair onto the ride and and vice versa and that just took a little extra time um so we'd have to stall in the the last room until the train was actually ready for us to open the doors and release everyone to gotcha. to get on the ride so part of my stall material i was just doing fake like uh i would do a fake um the enterprise getting hit by uh, you know, phasers or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'd have everyone lean, and the camera guy would like <laughs> tilt the camera the other way, and they couldn't see themselves on this big screen. But one of my other things was I'd be setting up like an earthquake kind of scenario and be like, okay, so you guys, you're at a picnic, and uh, and one of the dishes I would always say was brought is like, someone brought that green bean casserole that nobody knows actually how to make, and yeah. uh, that kind of thing, because that was everything, like every potluck I ever went to as a kid, every family reunion. Every Thanksgiving, that was there. And I think it's yep. actually really easy to make. But as a kid, you're like, yep. I have no idea what this is. It's green and gray, and it's yeah. here. <laughs> so, I mean, you sent me uh, an amazing article from Southern Living, which I hadn't read the title too closely. And it just kept going. Because usually these BuzzFeed-ass-looking yeah. articles are like, 17 hottest side dishes <laughs> you've never heard of. And they're all dishes from the 1800s that you've totally heard of that have marshmallows on them now or whatever right? <laughs> 48 different side dishes now let's be clear when we start talking about this for real it's about 35 
and some of them are slightly different, right? However, the green bean casserole thing, we've I'm sure we in the 25 years we've been doing the show, I'm sure we've talked about this before that green bean casserole is one of these depression era we're all getting dressed up because the bombs are still falling and we're going to pretend like everything's cool dishes that was made entirely out of shit in cans that you find in your pantry <laughs> way 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 in the back right so like canned green beans that are not green they're gray drained if you want mixed with campbell's cream of tomato soup put into yep. a dish and then you put these fried onions on top of them that's from a can from a can that's it that's yeah. the entire it's three ingredients um I still firmly believe, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to disagree with me. In the weeds, WBR at gmail.com or Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Feel free to disagree with me on this. Nobody actually likes that food. <laughs> Individually, green beans are fine. Mushroom soup is fine. Fried onions are fine. You put those three things together when you have to feed something to people so they don't die of starvation. And then a hundred years later, people are eating it on purpose, ironically. Nobody actually likes it. Those flavors don't go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I believe it was a proximity thing. Those three cans were next to each other in some grandma's cupboard. That grandma was doing her goddamn best. Shout out to that grandma. But that dish should have gone away after, like, food came back. <laughs> you know? I don't think it's about flavor with that dish. It's strictly about texture. It's these two things texturally are exactly the same. Here's something crunchy on top. Yes, you are correct. Overcooked canned green beans are the same texture as mushroom soup. <laughs> Gross. And it's always the uh, um, the French style. Is that what yeah. it is? Green yeah. beans? It's never like... split in half, yeah. Yeah, it's never the like chunk of, uh, you know... The small chunks, like the baby food kind of, the my first green bean style. Crap. Um, it, part of my brain is trying to talk me into figuring out a way to make that good, and I don't want to. I do not want to disassemble that recipe and figure out a way to make it good, because it's going to be so much work and so little payoff, you know? <laughs> You'd have to start with fresh green beans, surely, right? Yeah. The thing is, is again, the approach is the problem. There's no good reason to put those particular things in the same place. Especially not baked. Why the hell would you ever bake a green bean, right? So there's no yeah. reason to do it. So it's not like you go, well, this is what they were going for, and they used what they had at the time, so we're going to use what we have now at our time and get to a better place. There's no reason to go there. There's no reason to put green beans into a baking dish and put that shit in the oven with mushroom soup on top of it. Yeah. And even if I were to take all of my training and my culinary history and slap it on top of that dish, it's still not going to be good. I could make it better, but I'm not going to get to good. Yeah. Well, now, you know, uh, hold on. We're getting oh. a call. We're getting a call, Ben. I think someone is calling with some recommendations. Hello, Ben. <laughs> This is Penny from uh, Australia, and I suggest you use fresh green beans and uh, maybe some diff cap mushrooms. Feed it to your in-laws. You said you're going to your in-laws. Oh, man. Let me tell you just, just the, the tiniest little bit of a story, ladies and gentlemen, and I try not to recommend other podcasts on this show. Uh, however, there's one called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. It's on the iHeartRadio network, and I listen to it constantly, and it's a show about conspiracy theories, and for the most part, what they do is debunk conspiracy theories. However, they occasionally do also bring to light real conspiracies, and they tend to be super scary, right? 
they've covered the Patterson mushroom poisoning lady in Australia a couple of times with updates. And I finally called in to tell them what I know about the culinary structure of a beef Wellington, which I also, I don't know why it never came up on this show. I refer to it as the beef on Wellington because it makes you unwell. <laughs> and I relayed to them our theory about the previous three poisoning attempts. Cause now at this point, I'm just assuming that she's guilty. The previous three poisoning attempts were her refining her process and getting to a point where she realized she can't possibly put enough of the death cap mushroom in because it affects the flavor too much. Because there's not much duck cell in a Wellington. My, I still firmly believe she should have gone with the mushroom soup. It's way easier to get a lot more mushrooms in one spot. That way. And so I told them, because they have a phone line, so I called in. I told them on their answering machine thing, the only reason to have a dehydrator around is to really concentrate the poison that's in that mushroom so that when you put the mushroom into the duck cell as a dried product you've got this really concentrated poison and it's not going to mess with the flavor that much but you can really get a lot of it in there and one of the hosts called me back oh to uh, he wasn't looking for more detail he wasn't looking for more uh, information about that he was like are you really trying to tell people how to better poison and i was like no 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 no, no. i am not recommending this at all i'm just saying there's no other reason to dehydrate a poisonous mushroom other than to concentrate the poison and he was very nice about it i doubt because they they do play voicemails on their show i doubt i'm gonna show up but if i do they're gonna heavily heavily like <laughs> caution people not to do it i'm sure <laughs> yes but it was one well, of those moments where i was just like holy shit i've made it i'm somebody stuff they don't want you to know called me <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's titled stuff they don't want you to know. Exactly. That's quintessential yeah. stuff they don't want you to know. Well, it's stuff they yeah, don't want well, you to know, don't want you to know. And the thing is, a poison in a mushroom is a chemical that the mushroom produces, right? So concentrating that by dehydration is the exact same process as dehydrating herbs because you concentrate their flavor. It's the same thing as um, dehydrating something like a cranberry or an apple slice or whatever. You're taking the water out and leaving everything else, which is... The, part of it is preservation, but part of it is just, I want to have more flavor in one spot. So I'm not, I'm not wrong about it. Should I tell people step by step how to do it so you can kill your in-laws? Absolutely not. <laughs> I should not do that either. <laughs> okay, so taking this back to the casserole. Yeah. Knowing that dehydrating a mushroom is going to concentrate the flavor, what mushroom are you going to choose? Because what's in the can? The canned mushrooms are usually buttons. Yeah. Yeah. White button Which mushrooms. Which don't have much flavor, right? Correct. Um, so what mushroom are you going to choose? And it, and here's another, just to add this to it. If we're thinking of the green bean less as vegetable green bean, but more as like a noodle, like in a twice baked ziti sort of a situation, because you don't typically bake huh. pasta. Right. But if, if we think of it as this is going to be that type of a casserole, what are you, what are you putting in there? Crap. You've got a point there. So morel mushrooms go really well with asparagus i can only presume they would go really well with green beans although i don't believe i've made that combination in real life myself oftentimes what you will find is a dried morel mushroom anyway because the season on those things is so short and they're so prolific you go like in your backyard like where my dad lives in northern michigan you'll go from like oh it's wednesday there's no morels to oh it's thursday it's a plague of morels out there right if you're lucky so you find a ton of them, but they're also really perishable because they, they don't have like a, 
a solid cap to them. They're one of those ones that is like super, super wiggly and has lots of little crevices and stuff. You have to wash them out really well because you'll get bugs in there. But you harvest a whole bunch of them. You use what you can fresh, and then you dehydrate them because you they're going to go bad otherwise. A green bean casserole that is green beans put in there fresh and raw because you know they're going to cook during the casseroling ovening process <laughs> with a cream, like a white wine cream sauce made with onions and leeks, like white onions and leeks and garlic, white wine, heavy cream, morels, fresh morels if you can get them dried if you can't put that into the pan and then more fried leeks on top that might actually be okay would it does it make sense just to pull the green beans and use asparagus instead i wouldn't want to bake asparagus because yeah 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 that's that's gonna be weird like uh, green beans don't when you bake them they get soft but they don't change much whereas asparagus will like leak liquid out you know, like if you've ever had asparagus on a pizza or something, there's a little pool of water. Or if you put a, asparagus, this is better, if you put asparagus into a quiche, there's always like a pocket of water around them. Yeah, like they're the ham of vegetable of the vegetable world. <laughs> right. Uh, and the thing is, like, I had one other thought about this. If you were to do a mix of green beans and yellow wax beans, because the yellow wax beans will totally keep their texture. Even cooked, they're still kind of crunchy. That would work in a texture sense, too. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe there is a way to fancy that up and have it not suck. <laughs> I find it, I think you're right in terms of like being depression era. I just find it kind of ironic because it's like, well, you're using two cans of things instead of one can of thing. You'd think you'd right. just stick with one. Here's green beans. The mushrooms yeah. are tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. The other thing about Thanksgiving, the traditional American Thanksgiving, is I wonder how big everybody's oven was because all, especially these dishes that you sent me, how many casserole dishes and lasagna pans and, and and crockeries and whatever can you get in one oven at a time, right? Unless it was potluck, like what you're talking about, where everybody's bringing a dish in a dish. Well, you know, so having a, an oven from the 50s in the house, uh, these have to go in lengthwise. They can't go in sideways right? In, into the oven that we have. So if you're going to, if like, so family-wise... If it's like, okay, your your sister-in-law this year is hosting Thanksgiving, and they have like eight casseroles, is that like a status thing? It's like, because our oven actually has two sides, and it's super uh, right. big, and we can make all these casseroles, and now it's like a battle of the casseroles, and it's like, oh, we only have this one in a round pot. This friend of mine went to a Friendsgiving a couple of years ago, this is pre-pandemic, and she texted me a picture, and I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at, and one of her friends brought two different hot dishes of some sort. I'm not saying hot dish because I don't know what they were. I don't want to, you know, portray this wrong. (laughs) But he had at some point acquired an old school Pizza Hut pizza, uh, like, thermal bag. And he brought them in that. And then they didn't have enough room in the oven. And he goes, no, 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 these will be fine in here. So they had this gorgeous dining room table with a Pizza Hut bag on it as well. (laughs) And they, as a group, decided to leave them in the bag until they were ready to serve and I thought, you know what? Kind of genius. Because you can get two lasagna dishes side by side in a Pizza Hut delivery bag. Yeah. I wonder if he just acquired the bag. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or And by acquired, of course, I'm assuming that Stole. means that, yeah, he used to work as a delivery driver for Pizza Hut uh, back when he was in college or whatever and never returned the bag. Yeah. Or if it was the whole doodad, because when I worked there, 
I don't know what they're using now because that that technology um, <laughs> changes frequently, and because they're always looking for the thing that's going to get the pizza to you in the best condition. Yeah. <laughs> best being, of course, uh, uh, circumstantial to whichever pizza place you're ordering from. Right. Uh, but the, ours would like the the pizza bags themselves would sit on this electric doodad that would heat the there was something oh. in the bag that would warm up so the bag itself was was providing heat like a hot box or whatever in your uh you know the the warmer yeah um and then when once we took it off of course then the, then it would begin to uh decrease um you know a little by little as you drove to wherever you're going but it was at least a heated bag it wasn't just relying on the heat of the pizza you're putting in there so if you had that then yeah that's even going to stay even warmer I wonder if you could design a bag that built into the bottom of it was something that was reactive to uh, one of those induction burners. So, like, the bottom of the bag had a slab of metal of some sort in it. Not a slab, necessarily, but, like, some sort of a a film of metal in the bottom that when you got to your car, you would put the whole thing on there and there would be an induction burner there that would be legitimately producing heat that was going into that bag. And then that metal is absorbing that heat at a certain rate. And so when you lift the bag back off, it continues to radiate back out into the bag without melting the bag. You're right. The bags are made of asbestos. (laughs) It feels like a long way to go to keep a pizza hot for 20 minutes. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. But for a casserole for like several hours. (laughs) Well, and that's one of the other beauties of, of casseroles is that there's a thermal mass there. So once you take a casserole out of the oven, just by virtue of how much material is in there, it's going to keep itself hot for a while, right? Yeah. Even if it's not the tastiest thing in there, it's still <laughs> going to be warmish, you know? Yeah. So do you want to go through this uh, this article? I mean, we could do this for like 10 hours. There's so much material. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. I was surprised, too. That's what I was like, oh, I'm sending this Ben's way. And the thing is, is that it's not 48 Thanksgiving sides that feed a crowd. It's the 48 best 9 by 13 Thanksgiving sides (laughs) that feed a crowd. Holy smokes, that is specific. And, Steve, someone compiling this article, you look for a certain kind of name. If you are, if you're (laughs) expecting, like, excellence and professionalism and, and expertise out of this, Mary Alice Russell knows what she's talking about with <laughs> 9 by 13 casseroles. Mary Alice Russell brings this shit to church. Yes. No question. Absolutely. In fact, there's a chance she does the church flyer every week, too. <laughs> so, the first one, well, there's a picture here, but I'm going to skip past this picture. And I'm going to get rid of this pop-up ad. All right, sweet. Um, Hasselback sweet potato casserole. Have you ever done Hasselback potatoes, Steve? No. The idea of a Hasselback potato is you've got your potato sitting on the countertop lengthwise, right? It's looking at you. You cut slits in it almost all the way to the cutting board, but not quite, so that it still holds together, but you kind of accordion cut it. And you put it into a baking dish, and you put butter and garlic and cheese and whatever on there. And so as it bakes, those pieces kind of separate a little bit, and all that stuff falls down in between them. Okay, okay. Hasselback potatoes, uh, a sweet potato casserole with what appears to be hazelnuts and brown sugar on there sounds awesome to me i'm in yeah and it, it, it does look very appetizing as far as like potato casseroles go yeah honestly um, i would add apples to this as well but aside from that perfect 10 of 10 i would eat this apples on top or apples in between on top like but but finely diced so that as they bake their like apple juice that comes out seeps through you could use less sugar that way and the apples will have a nice little acidity to add to it because this is one note this is sweet 
And that's it. And I feel like people do sweet potatoes dirty. You can do... You can add, like, so much to sweet potatoes and, and get them to a place where they're interesting. But if you're just putting sugar on them, eh. It, it, that's... Maybe it's a trick of the name. Maybe that's the problem. But, like, sweet potatoes take on a ton of different flavors. There's a... Uh, a version of a butter chicken, which is an Indian curry, that you make out of sweet potatoes so that it's vegetarian, which is astonishing, right? Like, there's a lot you can do with them. And so it's always worth your time to take sweet potatoes and, and mess with them a bit. I'm uh, Famously, or at least I know I've had several friends that would get sweet potatoes fries and hot sauce and, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 So this one, no question. That I feel like this is less a recipe and more of like a jumping off point. Like, here's a great idea. Go for it from here. Yeah. And I would say anything you would put in granola, you could put on top of this and it would be great, <laughs> right? Walnuts, pecans, oats, uh, coconut. You could put, you know, dried fruit in there, any of that kind of stuff, and it would be great. It also know. is very pretty. Yes, uh, I don't know if technically that's a nine by thirteen pan because it's an oval. So yeah. starting starting straight off straight off the bat, you're a liar. Yeah, sorry, Mary <laughs> Alice Russell. They maybe maybe she was not in charge of the pictures. Yeah, yeah, that could that very well be. The second one here bothers me because the name is best ever macaroni and cheese. Hard disagree. There are so many different ways to make mac and cheese. You cannot say that there is a best ever. That's just yeah. not a thing, right? Um, do you have a tradition in your house of mac and cheese on Thanksgiving? No. Or in your family? No? Neither do we. But I think it's a southern thing, because this does this article does come from Southern Living. Yeah, and it does say Southerners are firm believers that this dish belongs on every holiday table, and Thanksgiving's yeah. no exception. Now, what do you look for, like, if somebody's like, this is the best mac and cheese ever, what do you expect out of that? Uh, well, if they if that's all they were saying, I would not be expecting what's in this picture because I think what's missing from this title is the word baked. Correct. Um, because this this isn't just a macaroni and cheese. This is a baked macaroni and cheese. So yeah. uh, uh, for the the best, because if you're just saying best macaroni and cheese, I'm looking for more um, liquid, more yeah. more you know, uh, uh, <laughs> liquid is probably not the right word, but no, creamier, you know, yeah, uh, yeah more uh, viscous. Um, but for for if we're just talking like flavor profile, I I like a sharp cheese flavor yeah. in the mac and cheese, um, to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a bite. And if we're talking best ever, it's gonna have a meat of some kind in there, chicken, yeah, or um, uh, diced up ham, bacon, something like that. Yeah, it, it, something along those lines. It won't just be noodles and and baked cheese. This looks good. This looks like something I would eat. Because yeah. it looks like it's a little creamy underneath. It's got some nice browning of the cheese on the top. And they do say they're using uh, white and yellow cheddar. But, um, you know, best ever might even... Why don't we get into some of the cheddars that have have some peppers in them? So maybe yeah. like a habanero cheddar or something? I don't know. That I'm, sounds I'm like it could be pretty good. I'm 100% with you. Again, this feels like a great place to start. And one thing I've learned over the years is that baked mac and cheese... I understand the ease of it. You build the thing, you throw it in the oven, and then later on you take it out of the oven and your stove space has been saved, right? However, what you were saying earlier is absolutely correct. Uh, they dry out. And the pasta, what that pasta wants to do is it wants to continue to absorb liquid. So if you make your mac and cheese the perfect amount of creamy and liquidy, and then you put it into a baking dish and you put cheese and breadcrumbs on top and throw it in the oven, it's going to be dry. It's going to be a brick when it comes out. It has to be, like, soupy when it goes in the oven. Or 
you have to do it right before you serve it. Where you have your cooked pasta, you have your sauce, you mix those together, you put them in the dish, you put your topping on it, and you broil it. Yeah. Two minutes, and then it comes out, right? However, what I will say is that you want to be one of the first five or six people to get into that because that <laughs> pasta is going to continue to absorb liquid, and it's going to set up like a brick. There's a story in my family that my aunt never realized that uh, oatmeal wasn't supposed to be the shape of the bottom of the pan because <laughs> she was always the last one up. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people because of because they're uh, they're very polite at potlucks or whatever that don't know that macaroni and cheese baked macaroni and cheese shouldn't be crunchy they yeah. just don't know that because they're the last ones to get it right and it's it's tricky it's hard to do if you're serving um we do a baked mac and cheese at the school and what is nice it's kind of a bummer because like we do if we do baked mac and cheese suddenly 400 kids are can't have dairy because what they want is plain noodles with sauce either on the side or sauce added at the last minute. But if we do a baked mac and cheese, we have the sauce live on the hot serving station. So we can keep sort of re-inoculating it as we go. It's the wrong word. We're not putting pathogens <laughs> in there. We're just, we're just thinning it out. Which is nice. But you can't do that on a Thanksgiving table. You're not going to have a separate pan of or, or, or gravy boat of, of sauce. Although Fondue. if you did, I'm coming over, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... It's tricky, but again, serve it. Everybody eats it really fast. Great, you're good. If it's gonna take uh, forty minutes for somebody to get to it, they're getting a brick. They're getting a piece of masonry. Yeah. Maybe I've not had the right kind of mac and cheese. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I understand the physics of pasta wants to absorb liquid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm jotting some things down that are potential titles for our cozy mysteries. Uh, <laughs> So pasta wants to absorb water is going to be one of them. I also have casseroling and shit in cans. So uh, <laughs> those are our potential titles. The mysteries to follow. Anyway. Next one, Steve. Scalloped corn casserole. What is... I'm confused. I get scalloped potatoes, which is... It's... Um, potatoes, you know, au gratin. Or it's... Uh, I forget what the other term is off the top of my head right now. But it's, you know, slices of potato that have been lined up, and you do a cream mixture on them, you put cheese in there as well. And the scalloping, quote-unquote scallop, is because it looks like the edge of a scallop shell, right? Like, that's where that term comes from. What the hell is a scalloped corn? I don't know. And also, just even reading what's in here, I... <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look it doesn't look bad, but from here it also looks like couscous, so... Right, right. Um, I don't know. This also looks like it was a mistake. I mean, the I didn't click on the recipe, but uh, does it get more traditional than a scalloped side? We don't think so. With frozen corn, fine. Buttered crackers, okay. And mayonnaise? <laughs> it's like, is that... Right. Those are the three ingredients? So, in the, in the recipe itself, it says... It turns out, yes, the name is due to its resemblance in taste and texture to scalloped potatoes. A scalloped dish is one cooked in milk or cream and baked until bubbly. Disagree. Absolutely disagree. Uh, it can be covered in breadcrumbs finished off with a layer of cheese for a crisp browned topping. When you look at scalloped potatoes, it looks like a scallop shell. That's the point. That's that's why that's 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 where that name comes from. So I'm going to disagree with that. Now, an idea of 
layers of crackers and corn and cream and whatever, that should be fine. It would be like a weird bread lasagna, but that's fine. Like I don't <laughs> mind any of the any of the flavors that are in there. I just uh, think the name for this one is wrong. Yeah. Well, they couldn't just call it corn casserole. Right. Or cracker ass corn casserole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh the, and I think if they would have left it at because of its resemblance to the taste of scalloped potatoes, then yeah. that's that's fine. But I think you're right. I've never had a scalloped potato dish that wasn't that that was like uh, potatoes that had been uh, uh, julienned or right. or right. shredded or something Hash like browns, that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something else. Yeah, it's always slices. All right, cornbread casserole is next. I don't think this really requires a lot of explanation it is what it is it's like if you were to make a cornbread but throw a whole bunch of extra corn into it so that it's more of like a pudding more of like a oh it's got its own texture it's kind of its own metaphor what do you call this stuff it's like a bread pudding essentially except it's cornbread yeah uh had it i've enjoyed it you know um seven out of ten i don't mind it it's not something i go back for because it's usually fairly one note it's like well this is a pan that contains the flavor of corn in a couple of different ways yeah <laughs> i do appreciate they're calling it cornbread casserole because bread pudding in my mind is uh is a dessert raisins yeah yeah um and so if this is not if this is a savory thing i don't want to hear because then i'll wait till the end and i'll have it i was like i should have had this with my main dish yeah now i i do something similar to this Sort of, where it's a puree of fresh corn with heavy cream and Parmesan cheese, salt and pepper. You had this when you came down to Houston for Thanksgiving, like, 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> where then, so I do that, and then I make a buttermilk biscuit, and I yes. roll it out square on top. And so what you get, the corn underneath, because of the cornstarch that's released when you puree that corn with the heavy cream and the Parmesan, kind of puffs up. So the bottom of it's nice and creamy, then it gets kind of puffy. Then the biscuit dough absorbs some of that liquid, so that stuff's kind of pudding-y. And then the top biscuit dough is uh, crispy, so it's like a like the top of a biscuit. And so, with only essentially two things in there, you get all of these flavor and texture differences, and it's delightful. It's another one; it does not reheat well. Right, you better <laughs> eat that whole thing while it's hot. <laughs> well, it, it reheats probably fine. It just texturally uh, becomes the same thing, right? It's a big mush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the big mush. <laughs> now, the next one, tomato pudding. I'd never heard of this before, ever. Yeah, me either. It, it's it, interesting. Yeah. I would try it. So it appears to be, and this is a conversation we need to have, it appears to be a variation of stuffing. So it's diced bread with fresh tomatoes, tomato sauce, herbs, and then you bake it, right? Is that what I want? Do I want, like... Pizza stuffing for Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, the answer is yes, but I don't know about for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because, yeah, you sprinkle some cheese on top of this, and you're, it is, it's pizza, pizza stuffing. It's the flavor profile of pizza, yeah. And so I was looking at it, and I was like, huh, I don't know. This feels like the kind of thing you would do as a, we're elevating leftovers. Not like yeah. you would make this on purpose. <laughs> they are saying sourdough bread yeah have you ever made a sourdough pizza crust oh yeah it takes I've, a I long don't... ass time but it's it can, they can be really good you have to have a very very active starter your starter has to be like going bonkers so so here's my question looking at this then because i i was with you on the same page i i don't know as i want it with my thanksgiving 
meal. Um, the other side of that is I don't typically put turkey on pizza. So right. if if you were gonna if you're looking at your turkey carcass, you've pulled all the turkey off. You're looking at the turkey and you're like, I'm gonna make a pizza with this. How would you go about that? What would you do to make a pizza that turkey would belong on? So there's two ways you can go. You can either go kitschy and be like, I'm making a Thanksgiving pizza. And so you skip sauce. You just use gravy. You skip like your, you don't put any cheese on it either. So it's, you take the turkey. I would use leg meat, shred that up and you put gravy on there and you do. Well, that's a good question. There has to be at least one more thing on there, doesn't there? But I don't want it to be like dollops of mashed potatoes because those are going to be lava hot. Do you, can you just throw some of the some cranberry on there after it comes out of the oven? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe if you had any salad left. Like, I love to do a spinach salad with Thanksgiving. I don't know why. But wilting some spinach on there, too, would, would be cool. Um, I would not have thought of this in, until the the thing I sent you about that from the Butterball people. Yeah, yeah. But um, how about um, rolling out your stuffing for the crust to be the crust? Possibly. I mean, you would have to do that as a dish... Like a pan pizza. So yeah, yeah. Um, and you pr- you might you probably have to bake it ahead of time. I mean, yeah. do a lot of par baking to get that to a point where it's gonna sustain anything. I mean, now we're into air quotes pizza, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the same way you have you get like a dessert pizza, and you're like, this is just a big fucking cookie. Like, yeah. Well, down. that's because Thanksgiving doesn't belong on a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, or the other thing you do is you make a pizza, and you treat the shredded turkey like you would chicken right so you just do a chicken chicken and broccoli and cheddar white pizza something like that yeah except you use turkey i still firmly believe that aside from deli sandwiches we don't really like turkey in this country because otherwise we would have roast turkey way more often and so people don't really know what to do with it there is a short that we've seen from i don't know when i probably talked about this already i believe it was on riff tracks that's that is from like the turkey producers about you can have turkey all year all year round and it just like really pushing hard like buy a turkey this is all the things you can do with it turkeys are great have them in the summer (laughs) well and i wonder what happens to all the turkey wings and legs because you do have deli roasted turkey breast and you can get a turkey sandwich any day of the week you in this country right but what you don't see is, I mean, maybe they all go to Ren Fair, right? Like, they're just cutting the legs <laughs> off of these guys and freezing them, and then they just go to the Renaissance Fair. But, like, we'll eat a roasted turkey breast as a sandwich meat any old time. But we're not roasting a turkey in July to, like, have a dinner. But you can get ground turkey year-round, so do you think it's just uh, going to the yeah, ground turkey people? Probably. I do like ground turkey. Like, if I'm making meatballs, this is anathema to, like, people who make meatballs. But, like, I will do a mix of beef and pork or beef and turkey. Because I just like how it holds its moisture better than beef does. Beef just, the, the, the fat and the water of ground beef just cooks out, you know. And so you put the turkey in there because it's got a much smaller protein strand. It, it just holds together better. It holds tighter. I like that. And then you just don't tell my daughter that's what I'm doing. Because she doesn't, <laughs> like, she doesn't like ground turkey. I don't know why. <laughs> well, they don't fly. They're all ground turkeys. <laughs> uh, the next one is hot buttered rum bread pudding. This one's clearly a dessert. Yeah. So this is back to your thing about bread pudding as a dessert. Yeah. Uh, and that flavor profile sounds good to me. I don't see that they're um, necessarily specifying a particular bread. But this looks just like like that big Italian like loaf bread yeah. they've got in there. Would you add, surprisingly, black pepper to your, uh... Nah. 
hot buttered rum pudding. <laughs> oh, if you if, if you prefer to skip the alcohol, you can substitute maple syrup. I I'm not a drinker, but I know the difference between maple syrup and rum. Yeah. I, I don't know is that, that that's not a one-to-one switch. I feel like you're making something else if you're using maple syrup, which is fine. Right. But I don't think it's a, I don't think you're going to get something that tastes like the, does the rum not, um, does the alcohol not bake out? Generally with a recipe like this, you would be drizzling the booze on as it comes out of the oven. Oh, okay. Gotcha. The same way you would do with um, like a, a syrup on, what's that cake? There's a cake where you brush on like a, a rum or maybe it's a whiskey syrup at the end. Regardless, with this, I mean, you could you could then put the rum into it and have it bake out, and you'd still have that flavor. That's fine. Um, speaking of names, the the photo credit for this great name. Yeah, Antonis Achilleos. Damn. Yeah. I mean, if that's not a Greek god. Then I don't know what is. Uh, the next one, macaroni corn casserole. This feels like the corn pudding and the mac and cheese got together. <laughs> this feels like it could also be called the least macaroni and cheese yeah. ever. <clears throat> um, are you in for mac and cheese with corn in it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's wise that they're calling it macaroni corn casserole. They're not calling yeah. it macaroni corn, macaroni cheese corn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or something else. And also, uh, Will Dickey, great name. What's that? Mac, Mac Corn, corn Rooney. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say no to this. I don't do corn and pasta. I don't know why. Maybe it's... Is this a riff on carbonara? Like, I don't understand what's going on here. This this looks like, it, again, someone got up really groggy, didn't turn the lights on in the kitchen, thought they were making something else, and this is what came out of the oven. They're like, well, I'm going to serve it. Yeah. They tried to make it... That, like, they tried to get the ingredients to talk to each other by adding bacon and white cheddar and gruyere, but I'm like... Nah, there's no purpose to putting corn in there. But Ben, it's a tried and true balance of flavors. Bacon, <laughs> cheddar, gruyere, panko, sweet corn kernels, scallions, spicy dry mustard, and cayenne pepper. Tried and true. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Honestly, you could leave the corn out of this and I would be there for it. You put the corn in and I'm like, why'd you put corn in there? The, is it just for the sweetness, do you think? Just for the little bites of sweet? I'm with you. I think somebody made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That one that one bothers me. Somebody Bro- somebody try it and let us know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh number eight, broccoli cheese casserole. Yep. Those that you want tried and true? Broccoli and cheese. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh again, anytime you bake a green vegetable, it's gonna be gray. So you wanna be careful. This looks like it's got more liquid than they want it to have, which broccoli is another one of these that when you cook it, water falls out of it. So you have to be careful with that. You have to have something in there to soak it up. But uh, honestly, crunchy cracker topping. Yeah, I'm in for that. If you want to crush up a bunch of saltines on top of uh, broccoli and cheddar, yeah, 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 yeah. that sounds great. Uh, just forensically judging the the very the top of the dish there, a little to the right of where the liquid has kind of made a little mountain peak pointing down. These look like Ritz. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. butter and, cracker. Yeah. And it also looks like they left it in the oven so long that they're starting to char a little on the end. Yeah. So may, it, they were trying to get the liquid out. <laughs> <laughs> could be could be i don't i don't have a better idea for how you would soak up that liquid myself but i also don't know that you would need to like that liquid would be tasty this think of this as being a broccoli cheddar soup with crackers on top of it yeah Great. yeah 
I'm in. <laughs> Me- meanwhile, just to the left of the spoon, and an, almost an entire Ritz cracker I didn't even yeah. notice. So I'm yeah. really good at forensics. <laughs> <laughs> we are detectives. <laughs> uh, savory corn pudding. I would argue this is the exact same thing as that cornbread pudding we saw earlier. Sure. Fine. Uh, I don't. So now, now we're down to 47, not 48. You can make this dish three or four days in advance, or you can freeze it for up to a month. Uh, disagree. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> well, it doesn't say you want to. It just says yeah, you can. Yeah. I can freeze anything for up to a month, to be honest. I don't know if I'm going to eat it afterward, but I can freeze it for a month. All right. Number 10, homemade green bean casserole with crispy leeks. This is what we were talking about earlier, Steve. Um, they've gone way out of their way to put, like, flowers behind this dish, as well as candles and shit. It still does not look like something I necessarily want to eat. It, the... Is that the leeks on the top? The the fried leeks, yeah. Okay, so you fry them and you throw them on after the fact? It appears to be, yeah. It, it looks like a bird has made a nest in some green, a pile of green beans. I am looking at the recipe right now. I believe they've done essentially what you and I were talking about before. Because it's raw green beans and then you make a sauce. Wow. So the sauce is onion and garlic and white wine. Fine. And then flour, so you're making a roux in the pan. Two cups of milk, fine. Cream cheese. This is not going to be a a delicate dish by any means. Salt, pepper, nutmeg, and then your fried leeks. Um, This is closer to what you and I were talking about. I don't know that if I'm going for refinement, I'm going to put cream cheese in it. But it will hold together. That sauce is going to stay in one spot. (laughs) It is interesting. I mean, I would I would give it a try. Yeah. As I would the next one, which is also a green bean casserole, although this seems more like a winner. Bacon Brussels sprout green bean casserole. So this, what somebody did is they had the same conversation you and I did, which was, this was not put together on purpose. So what can we do to this dish to make it good? And they were like, well, let's put fucking bacon in it and Brussels sprouts. So yeah, I'm kind of in for this one. Yeah. In fact, Brussels forget sprouts. the green beans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, now at this point, I was just about to say, I do a Brussels sprout dish with bacon, with toasted almonds, and it's great. It doesn't need any of this other uh, green bean stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I really need to use these green beans. Let's just throw it in with the Brussels sprouts. It's not going to do any harm. Is green bean casserole the drunk conservative uncle that has to get invited to every family event? And you really hope that his girlfriend is going to, whichever girlfriend he brings this year, is going to like soften the, <laughs> the the horrible drama of having to have this guy in the house. And so this year he's bringing bacon and Brussels sprouts. And you're like, well, at least they're not talking about a stolen election again. <laughs> okay, so you and I have talked ad nauseum about how Arby's is nostalgia food for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like no... Uh, there's no one that the the green bean casserole we talked about before can of uh, condensed cream of tomato soup, yep. um, can of green beans, can of gray beans, and <laughs> the French onions uh, fried uh, out of the can. You know, French onion whatever on the yep. top. Um, does is there anyone that actually seriously enjoys that, or is it strictly nostalgia? And is it only nostalgia because I feel like Arby's is nostalgia in a different way. It's nostalgia we'd go out and look for yeah uh once in a while whereas the green bean casserole is a nostalgia and like oh this is here again <laughs> and then well, you take some it's an obligation 
is it is it that and is it also colored by it's just an expectation right so like you have you don't normally have a tablecloth on your table for that for for daily use but on thanksgiving you have a tablecloth you don't normally have green bean casserole but on thanksgiving you have green bean casserole like is it something that's not even considered as hey guess what we don't need this thing you know it doesn't uh, i don't know is it is it a palate cleanser? Are you were we supposed to like put it in our mouth and spit it out into the tub on the floor? A green bean casserole spit bucket. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're also getting away like my my mother claims she loves green bean casserole. That's entirely nostalgia sauce because I don't know that there's anybody out there who can say that they truly love that dish. Um our generation is now the ones who are actually considering it and thinking about it critically. My kids are going to be like, what the fuck is that? You know, having if, not really ever had it. I think it's too late for you to do this. But somewhere out, someone out there, the listening, maybe you can do this. If every time, like Christmas morning, uh, one of the eight mornings of Hanukkah, or do you open your presents in the evening? I don't know. Birthdays. Um, uh, when you're taking your kids somewhere super special, if every time you did that, you gave them awful cough syrup, <laughs> would that then connect those events to that flavor in their mind so that every time they had cough syrup, it would be a super great experience despite it being a terrible, terrible flavor and uh, culinary experience so that they would kind of look forward to that because it brought back all those memories. Like, is green bean casserole, not that it's that unpleasant, like, as it's not as bad as right. cough syrup, but is the only reason that we like it is because it's triggering these memories of getting together with family and, and warm memories of, yeah, yeah. you know, is that the only reason we bring it is because, you know what, it's always a part of this. We bring it because it triggers these memories, and that's why we then, we don't, we don't, we love the memories. We don't love the dish. We love the memories, we don't love the dish. I think that's exactly it. I think it's exactly it. Because, yeah, again, I want to say nobody actually loves that dish. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you could. It's unlovable. I think, But I yeah. think there's ways, like, these are all much more interesting to me, and I would definitely try some of these green bean casseroles. But even just the word green bean casserole is not something that's like, I'm going to that end of the table. No one hovers around that dish. Well, and it's a joke the same way that around Christmas fruitcake is a joke. You yeah. Know? Like, it's just become its own food joke. I don't know. Next one is classic Parmesan scalloped potatoes. Great. I'm in. Yep. Yeah, you know, I have no problem with that one at all. Uh, and in fact, with with scalloped potatoes, with potatoes, uh, gratin potatoes, all of that kind of stuff, I would almost always say simplest is best, right? Yeah. You got cream, you got cheese, you got garlic, you got potatoes, you got salt. That's all you need. Yeah. If you want to have fun with it beyond that, just be real careful. I worked at a place where we did a gratin potato that was half idaho's half sweet potatoes and the cheese was blue cheese and it was good but because we had very carefully considered how we were gonna do it right so i wouldn't just be like let's put raisins in there like no 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 no. you gotta be very (laughs) careful with how you handle that because this is one of those where it's like no the simple version of it is nigh perfect so if you're gonna fuck with it you gotta know what you're doing yes now I, i will say this i have made it where i put Strips of bacon, starting with the very middle of the bottom of the pan, hanging out of the edge of the pan, and I built my gratin potato in there and folded the other pieces of bacon up over it so that when I baked it, it was basically encapsulated in crispy bacon. That was awesome. But I was only adding one thing. Yes. 
Well, and I think something like that, and I was thinking too, is like throwing ham in there is it's gonna you got to be careful because ham is watery, like we said. Yes. Yeah. So that's gonna change that aspect of it. But something along those lines is, uh, yeah, do, just if you're gonna do something, don't don't throw eight things in. Speaking of, our next one is sweet potato <laughs> carrot casserole. Oh, I did. I missed the carrot initially. Which appears to be a puree of sweet potatoes and carrots. Fine. In a baking dish. Okay. Uh, covered in whole pecans, which is a weird move, and small marshmallows. Yes. What's the marshmallow thing, Steve? Why does Thanksgiving conjure up marshmallows for people? I don't know. And I've never, we've never been marshmallow, like, I don't, most of our Thanksgiving, I don't even think there's been sweet potatoes. But at the times I've seen it, it hasn't been baby food sweet potatoes. It's been yeah. like sweet potatoes with, still with the giant marshmallows on the top, but yeah. they're actually like halved or quartered or something. They're not. Sure. They're, they're not turned into mush like this. Um, well, and this looks like dry mush. This is less of a puree of sweet potatoes and more of a paste. Yeah, yes, based true. Based on this picture. So the execution of this was not great. Uh, it's in an Emile Henri baking dish, which is gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. But, like, this is, aside from the whole pecans that are on there, is going to be one texture. It is going to be baby food. Tangy sour cream and lemon zest add a little more sparkle than your average sweet potato casserole. I'm in for that, but I don't know that that necessarily goes with marshmallows. Yeah, well, it doesn't change your texture at all, <laughs> either. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, to a certain degree, it's like, well, I bought a Maserati, but then I wrapped it in a Monster Energy drink car wrap. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you go to all the trouble of putting lemon zest and, and sour cream in there and fancying it up and then throwing fucking marshmallows on top? Yeah. I don't get it. You know what I want marshmallows on? Hot chocolate. Bingo, yeah. Uh, s'mores, hot chocolate, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Irby Pecan Cornbread Dressing. You ever do cornbread dressing, Steve? Um, I think I've had it, but it, we don't typically make it. Right, neither do we. Um, generally, when I've had it, it's been like like a toasted, fairly large dice cornbread crouton that's tossed with all the stuff to make dressing. This looks more like a solid mass. This looks more like a uh, a bread pudding. Which could be okay, but, like, if you're doing that, just make polenta, man. Like, you've added two steps to get to the same place. <laughs> you know, my issue with a lot of cornbreads is uh, that they're just so dry. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's fine if you have, like, a bucket of butter. But yeah. so so making a dressing out of it where you're then baking it again or something like that, then to me it's just like, so you're going to dry out the thing that's dry? <laughs> yeah. Right. In the past at my school, when we've had cornbread, we invariably have it left over. Because you're making sheet trays and sheet trays of this stuff, but you never really know how much the kids are going to eat. I have diced it up and toasted it off to make um, cornbread croutons for the salad bar for the next day. Sure. Those actually move better than cornbread itself. Because it is, <laughs> you're right, it's a dry dish, so why not go all the way to, I'm going to make croutons out of it. Because then it's like crunchy and crumbly and, and very nice, whatever. If you're making a stuffing out of that and keeping the integrity of the dice like cubes, great. This is this is another this looks like a mush dish and I'm not it does. I'm not here for that. Mashed potatoes live in that space where it's like this is the ultimate mush dish and that's all I want. I don't want other things to be mush. Yeah. Uh 15 sweet potato casserole. Yep, this is what we were talking about. Diced up yep. sweet potatoes, some sort of a syrup underneath it, marshmallows. Fucking marshmallows. Yeah. No no thank you. <laughs> are these do these marshmallows come from you had s'mores over the summer and you've got an open bag of marshmallows and you get to thanksgiving <laughs> and you're like fuck am i gonna do with these and you throw them on top of sweet potatoes i think this is how this casserole dish was started 
Charlie, I told you, get that bag of marshmallows out of my kitchen. Okay. Trip. Whoops. Marshmallows fly into the air, <laughs> land on the dish just as it's being pushed into the oven, and now we're stuck with it. Yeah. Um, and then they were like, hey, this is great. We should keep doing it. But yeah, I've never... I, I know some people love this stuff, and it's very much a part of the holiday thing for them, but uh, it's never bit For me, it's never... I've never even found it appetizing, um, the marshmallows. I like marshmallows, fine, but yeah. it just... Because I don't know. I don't know. It's like maybe I don't want something that sweet or that type of sweet with with my turkey and everything else. Right. Right. Um, I don't know. Two things, ladies and gentlemen, that you should know. Steve and I are basically just roasting this, but like two two serious things you should know. When you look at a picture online of something that's got a marshmallow topping like this sweet potato casserole, that is not what your marshmallows are going to look like if you follow the recipe. So what's <laughs> going to happen is they're going to melt like sideways and down. And they're going to make the whole thing into a sticky mass, which is fine, right? Like, that's the purpose of it. In your oven, they're not going to toast up like this. Somebody, a food photographer or food stylist, has toasted the top of these with a, a, a blowtorch. That's not going to happen in your oven. The second thing you should be aware of is that, for the most part, marshmallows contain gelatin, which is an animal product. So if you're making this as a vegetarian side, it is not vegetarian anymore. And any vegetarians you've invited over know that. They see marshmallows and they're going to go, oh, that's made out of fucking horse hooves. I'm not eating that, right? So just yeah. be aware. You can get vegan marshmallows and they're awful. <laughs> or just don't. Right. Like they're, they're – the purpose of the marshmallow in this dish, as I understand it, is to add sugar to the dish and to add a visual component that looks different from the, the sweet potatoes. There's a thousand different ways to do that. Yeah. That does not require you to buy Stay Puft marshmallows. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best uh, sweet potato bake kind of things that I've ever had. They did a brown sugar, like a syrup with toasted pecans and whatever mixed in with the sweet potatoes. And the top had essentially a, uh, uh, like a breadcrumb on top of it, but it was graham crackers. It was great. Graham crackers and butter mixed together right on top of there. It was, it was crispy. It, the whole thing kind of tasted a little bit like s'mores. It kind of tasted like camping. It was great. Nice. No marshmallows involved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, grits dressing is the next one, Steve. Um, I like grits. Grits are, they don't taste like a goddamn thing. So you can put whatever you want in there. Awesome. I'm in. Yeah. Um, my favorite grits are from Four Rivers Barbecue Place in uh, in Florida. And it, it, they're the cheesy grits. And they just, they become a, a cube of just uh, goodness. You know, it's not like yeah. uh, spoon grits. You could pick it up and eat it with your, with your fingers and... So, uh, I mean, I would do that. That would I could bring to my Thanksgiving with no no trouble. So, um, yeah, grits aren't something I, we typically have, but uh, this looks fine to me. Yeah. Again, I'm in. And the thing about grits, like you were just saying, cheesy grits, I'm in. Uh, sweet grits that you have for breakfast, I'm in. It doesn't really matter to me what you're doing with them because, again, they don't taste like anything. It's white corn polenta. It's fairly uh, uh, broad grind. Awesome. I'm there. Yeah. Next is classic cornbread dressing. This is more what I think of when I think of cornbread dressing. This is clearly individual, distinct, diced up pieces. Yeah. Looks good, too. Yeah, it does. Because at, at its heart, like cornbread, you can make and, and toast up just like you would do a crouton of any bread. So, yeah, use it that way. To Fine. achieve the classic dressing texture, let the cornbread dry out for at least two days before serving. Now, the one thing that it does require of you is that this is a two, the bare minimum two-step process, right? Because if you're making dressing, you're buying bread at the store and you're chopping it up and whatever. This requires you to make cornbread first. So this, this is extra planning. But if you got cornbread laying around, yeah. there you go. 
Pumpkin and Winter Squash Gratin. This one also looks great. I'm in. And isn't Pumper? Uh, isn't Pumper? <laughs> isn't isn't Pumper a winter? Uh, isn't Pumpkin a winter squash already? Um, so yeah, I think that they are making the distinction there because so many people just think of pumpkin as a sweet yeah, application, yeah. you know. Uh, so this is pumpkin, potato, and butternut squash, cheese, delicious French bread crumbles. Um, <laughs> great. That's awesome. I One of the things that I do, and I recommend this to everybody, is that you've got that rectangular baking dish that you do your turkey in, and it's got that rack in it. I get rid of that rack, and I'll put on the bottom of that tray pumpkin, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, parsnips, uh, celery root, you know, all of these root vegetables and i'll put my turkey directly on top of that so as the turkey roasts it doesn't burn from the bottom of the pan but any of the juices that drip out of the turkey go into those root vegetables and then you just serve them as a side this looks like that without the turkey on top of it yeah yeah great i'm in yeah for the dinner we're doing at the school tomorrow i don't want to compete with anybody's thanksgiving but we're in the holiday season right so what we're gonna do is we are doing that we've got Sweet potatoes, parsnips, and regular potatoes that we're going to roast together with rosemary and thyme. We're going to serve herb roasted chicken legs. I'm making those pumpkin pie bars. And there was one other thing we're doing. Oh, we're doing a Brussels sprout dish. And, uh, again, you just... The nice thing about having a mix of root vegetables like that is that, I mean, carrots can go in there, leeks can go in there, uh, pearl onions can go in there. Everybody can either dig around and find the thing they like or... The flavors do interact with each other, and you get a parsnip that's got a whole bunch of roasted pumpkin smeared on it. That is really good. Um, it, it, is there a place for rutabaga in there? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, what I wouldn't do is like, oh, I roasted this turkey on just rutabagas. Yeah. <laughs> right, Unless you're would... making a turkey pasty. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So we should do a Thanksgiving leftovers show where we're like, we just make pasties out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheese cracker topped squash casserole. If you have a whole bunch of goldfish laying around, maybe this is a way to do something with it. But like, I don't know. It's well, it's even the the, the theming here says uh, it's important that everyone at the table feels welcome, and seeing cheese cracker top dish is sure to surprise the little ones. So yeah, I mean, if you want to cater to the tiniest tots, but I feel like you could just use cheese its as well, right? Yeah. If you're just going for that flavor, do you? Do you feature butternut squash and cheese together? Because I don't know that I do. Like, I don't think those go together. Butternut squash and maybe, like, Parmesan, but not cheddar, you know? Yeah. That feels weird. It also, this picture, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, unless you're following along at home and looking at this Southern Living article, everything about this table in this photo is very, very fancy. And then there's this weird-ass goldfish-topped thing. Yeah. And the this is definitely like yellow dish. Yeah, yeah. All right, savory sweet potato casserole. Great, I'm in. Anytime we can take something that in our country we're the only ones who use it as a sweet item, and everybody else in the world is like, no, it's a fucking potato. You just eat it, and we can do it savory. I'm in. Right. Yeah. Par- Parmesan herb streusel topping to a sweet potato dish. Great. And what do you think they did to the pecans? Because there's pecans on there too. Um, they're probably not candied, is all I'm saying. No, no, no. It looks like, I bet they took the uh, Parmesan herbs. Like, I bet it's part of it. I bet they took oh, okay. all of that together. Probably Parmesan and some of, again, your winter herbs, right? Like your thyme. Well, let's see. They have some in the picture, don't they? That's just, that's parsley and sage. Uh, 
tossed them all together with a little bit of olive oil or a little bit of butter and then spread the whole thing on top great now this is clearly a mashed sweet potato dish it's going to be one texture but the way they've assembled this with that streusel style topping that's going to be nice and crunchy yeah i'm in for that it looks it looks great Parker House Rolls, the less said the better. It's a yeah. great butter bread and make them and I'll come to your house. I love Parker yeah. House Rolls. They made these oddly. They're little rectangles, which is not what Parker Houses are supposed to look like, but that's fine. It still looks like they made them well. They've got uh, uh, large grain salt on top of them. Thank you. Awesome. I'm in. Yeah. I think they're that shape because they were still sticking with their 9 by 13 pan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a 9 by 13 article. We're not going to get through all these. We're only to 22. Yeah. And we've been talking for over an hour. Um, yeah. Well, well, let's... Okay. Baked mac and cheese. Yeah. Good. Um, with, with bacon? I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good enough. Old uh, school green bean casserole. We did 40 minutes on that already. So yeah. We're done with that. <laughs> Sweet potato bread pudding. It's just enough. Well, this one actually looks a little different. Um, yeah. This one has spinach in it and it's savory. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Parmesan Sweet potato cheesy custard. Parmesan custard. Oh. And bacon. Eight thick, yeah. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I was thinking that some of the bread in there was potato, and I was confused. I was like, how'd they get the sweet potato to look like that? But no, those are big chunks of bread. It looks good. I Yeah, do it for sure. It also, in this particular one, looks like they didn't peel the sweet potato, which I totally recommend. Don't peel sweet potatoes. Wash them. Like, scrub them off, but don't peel them. Yeah. Macaroni pudding. This is mac and cheese, so fuck off. Yeah. Um, it is a baked mac and cheese. Uh, don't yep. call it pudding. Unless, I mean, I'm not going to look at the recipe, but the only thing I can think of is that to get to pudding, they just uh, put cream cheese in it, which is fine, uh, but, like, come on. Uh, uh, two potato gratin. We talked about this earlier. Like, as long as the potatoes go together and you're putting the cheese, like, you can use those purple potatoes in a gratin, and it can be really fun. But you just have to make sure that if you're picking a cheese, that's going to go with it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sky's Here the there's limit. the two potatoes. Are Yukon gold and sweet potatoes? Uh, yeah, that works With too. Gruyere and Parmesan. Yeah, Gruyere is one of these few cheeses that does have a nice, like, sweet application as well. So that's fine. Ooh, we should talk about this one though. Loaded cauliflower casserole. I had never really thought about something like this before, but as soon as I read it, I thought, okay, I'm in, and I get it, and I want it, kind of like right now. Because <laughs> this is it's cauliflower with. It says multiple cheeses, bacon, chives, sour cream, and more. It's like a lighter loaded baked potato for the whole Thanksgiving crowd. I'm in. That sounds great. I make a, um, I make a cauliflower soup that sounds like it's got basically all of this stuff in it. And I'm in for a baked sort of a crispy, crumbly version of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, texturally, this I think is going to be fine too because the cauliflower isn't going to, it isn't going to mush up entirely. So it's going to have a little bit of... Uh, Extra playfulness. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right, sorry. I just had to respond to a text real quick. Uh, no worries. Aunt Grace's best cornbread dressing. Uh, I'm not even going to look at this one. We've, we've already made up our minds about cornbread dressing. It's a southern thing. I get it. I don't necessarily go for it myself, but meh, okay. I'm not going to argue with Aunt Grace. Yeah. <laughs> now, this one's interesting to me, Steve, because I've never had it. Oyster casserole. Are you an oyster guy? I, I, I haven't had an oyster that I've been like, ooh, like it, it's n- nothing's like changed my world. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if this would be something. I, can you have oysters? Yeah. yeah. Because there's no iodine, right? Correct. Um, so I and I know people do make oyster dressing and stuff. I know that's a thing, but uh, I don't know. So I have no idea. I don't know. 
Yeah, me either. I mean, it says here, plump oysters baked in a rich Parmesan cream sauce and topped with buttery breadcrumbs. All that sounds good, but yeah. I've not had it, so I don't know. Yeah. Sweet potato, cauliflower, and greens casserole. Uh, yeah, again, like, as long as all the flavors play together, I don't see a problem with this. And I feel like cauliflower is sort of criminally underused. So, sure. This sounds great. Uh, the greens, I wonder about which greens they're using. This, this to me looks like it was, I know it wasn't, but it, just the picture looks like it was assembled um, and then, then just served. Like, everything was maybe cooked separately if cooked. I just... Ah. I, if I if I encountered this at a potluck, my thought would be these carrots are not going to be done. Oh, those sweet potato, not <laughs> carrots potatoes, though, right? Yeah. Oh, so maybe it's fine. But I because some of those I'd be like, if this was all baked together, I can't imagine that everything is done, got got fully cooked. Right, but I mean it. Unlike a lot of Thanksgiving side dishes, this is nice and colorful. Right? Yes, it is. Thanksgiving side dishes tend to be monochromatic, right? So yes. Like, gray. Or orange. <laughs> you know, this has got a lot going on. This I appreciate. Somebody put some thought into this. As opposed to the next one, meringue-topped sweet potato casserole. You know what this is? Somebody went, I don't really like marshmallows, but I do still want to have mashed sweet potatoes with something insanely sweet on top of it. And they went way out of their way to make this thing. What's the difference between this and sweet potato pie? Crust. <laughs> there seems to be no crust on this. <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong, I love a sweet potato pie, but man, if you're going all the way to making meringue and you're making a sweet potato casserole out of it, like, you've wasted your time. Yeah. Southern cornbread dressing? We've encountered how many cornbread dressings now? We get it, Southern Living, we get it. (laughs) Twice-baked potato casserole. Okay, so I get that. Like, this is essentially twice-baked potatoes, except they mash the potatoes and then put all the stuff you'd put in twice-bakes on there and throw it in the oven. Okay. I I don't mind that. Yeah. It feels like a long way to go for that, but I don't mind it. It feels like an appetizer at TGI Friday's, but I'll eat it. Uh, There you go. It absolutely does. Creamed greens casserole. Southern greens and the the application of greens, I will never understand, but it's because I was not raised in that tradition. So, I mean, if the, yeah, kale and collards combined with cream cheese and fontina. Whew. Uh, You won't be forgetting that for a while. (laughs) All of your burps are going to taste like kale and cream cheese. I don't know. All about it that. needs is cabbage. Yeah, right. Uh, it, I mean, there there is a way in which this is probably pretty good, like like creamed spinach from way back in the day in high end hotels. But the minute this gets cold, it's a sticky brick, not just a brick. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, corn pudding casserole. We've seen this twice already. Yeah, this looks it looks more like corn jello to me, but yeah, yeah. Custard like base. This is probably closer to what I do, except it doesn't have that biscuit top on it. Okay, so this is just like a really thick creamed corn. Yeah, basically. Butternut squash gratin. Again, we've already said this a number of times. Potatoes sliced up, cooked in cream with garlic, with butter, with salt and pepper. It's always going to be a winner. Uh, butternut squash is a great substitution for a potato. I'm in. With this, could this also count as a scalloped butternut squash? Yes, 100%. Because the way that's cut, looks like yeah. scallop, scallop shell. Brussels sprout spoon bread. Uh, I don't know about this one. Spoon bread is a marriage of the best cornbread you've ever had with a fluffy perfection of a souffle. 
this version is dotted with browned Brussels sprouts for a slightly smoky flavor. Okay, here's the problem with this recipe is I'm looking at it right now. You get this to yourself hot, those Brussels sprouts are going to be dangerous. They're going to be super, super lava hot. You get this to yourself cold, those Brussels sprouts are going to be slimy and weird. There is a very small window of time at which this particular dish is at the right temperature to be good. Yeah. That feels dangerous. I don't know that I would want to bring that to a place. It also seems like an... In, I know it says it's, it's a marriage of the best... Well, it's just a marriage. I just wonder if that marriage needed to happen. It seems yeah. like there might be some irreconcilable differences. <laughs> uh, the next one is butternut squash bread pudding. Again, diced up bread, diced up root vegetable, tossed together with cheese and herbs and whatever. Great. I'm in. Yeah. It's This one's ultra cheesy. <laughs> oh, and it's made ultra. out of challah. Challah is nice because even if you dry it out as a crouton when you then mix it with some sort of a liquid and bake it it does rehydrate pretty well a lot of breads won't accept that liquid back in and you get you know they stay crunchy which is kind of nice hala is going to reabsorb like a sponge and be like soft and sort of lovely nice so that's recommend good i was just that's just a tip for anyone making any kind of bread pudding if you want to mix up your you know two bread pudding or make use a couple different breads which is why whenever you have a loaf of challah no matter what somebody will say to you oh that makes the best french toast it's true but like we get it fucking chill out about challah french toast like it does make great french toast it absorbs that liquid really really well fine it's the same way as when you see a bay leaf people say choke and die be like fucking chill out i don't know who choked and died on a bay leaf but like that must have happened 400 years ago it's okay uh, one of the interesting things about the description of this recipe is they say, though it is filling as it is, you can bulk the dish up with a pound of browned sausage. I'm here for that. Yeah. Give me that. <laughs> that sounds like the day after Thanksgiving breakfast. You have some of this. It's got the sausage in it already. You fry an egg, put it on top. I'm in. Oh, yeah. Baked corn casserole. We've seen this a couple times already. Yeah. Yep. Creamed cabbage and leek gratin. Uh okay i mean this this is what i think happened here no one is going to make it down to number 40 (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah creamed cabbage sounds like a tummy ache waiting to happen (laughs) i'm a huge fan of leeks why wouldn't you just make a leek gratin because the, 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 the description of this recipe says, this potato-less gratin, why would you take out the best part of a gratin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. I'm going to skip that one. Wild rice and greens casserole? Sure. I'm in for a, I'm in for a wild rice thing. That's, I mean, is this not almost, uh, this is borderline salad though, right? Yeah, yeah, it looks <laughs> like a salad. So that's different. Scalloped potatoes with ham, again. You cook potatoes with heavy cream and garlic and onions, and then you start putting other stuff in there. Just make sure that it's going to work, but I'm here for it. Yeah. Sausage stuffing. This is something that I'm surprised it took this long to get to because this is definitely a southern, even like a a New Orleans kind of thing, where you have diced up bread. Again, you've got onions, you've got garlic, you've got your herbs, whatever, and then you put like an andouille sausage in there. I'm here for that. Yeah. It is not what I would consider from extremely white northern Michigan to be, you know, a, a, a traditional Thanksgiving thing. But, man, is it good. And this, this would pair with the, your turkey, right? I mean, oh, that yeah. should be fine. Yeah. Yep. Oh, we didn't talk about this either, Steve. The difference between stuffing and dressing. Are you aware of what that difference is? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I I read through that article, so it was exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> the difference being, stuffing is all of that stuff that we just talked about, cramalammed into the bird. Dressing is all that stuff we just talked about, cooked separately. Yeah. Why do there need to be different words? I don't know. Yeah. And I um, mean, we may, maybe there's a part of the country where they're not used as interchangeably as they are yeah. up here, but it's it just depended on who you talk to, and uh, and it really just comes down to um, well, I mean, some people I guess maybe tradition, but I know there are lots of chefs that are like, I'm not going to cook that inside the bird because I uh, I don't trust that it's going to get done. Two things happen, or have the potential to happen with stuffing, and this is a, a, another safety tip for everybody out there doing this at home. There is, just in the liquids that are present in your bird, there are loose strands of protein. So if you ever cook a chicken breast on a tray in your oven, and you see this little white sort of bubbly stuff around the edges, that's that. Juice comes out, it's got loose protein in it, the proteins coagulate, and that's what that is, right? Same thing happens when you're roasting a turkey. Those are going to settle out of the breast meat, and they're going to fall through that rib cage. And so the top of your stuffing whatever you've got stuffed in there is going to have like this gray sort of foam on top of it that is nothing but poultry protein but it looks fucking gross right (laughs) that's what that is you don't need to be afraid of it in fact the fact that it's coagulated means it's cooked it's safe whatever however if your stuffing recipe has eggs in it which a lot of them do as a binder that means you have to get the dead center of that stuffing in the dead center of that bird up to 150 degrees, which means everything out and around it is at like 190 degrees and your bird is fucking dry as shit. So (laughs) that's the trick. I guess what I make is always dressing because if the bird cavity itself is fairly open, the heat is getting in there as well. And so the breast meat is cooking from the top and the bottom at the same rate, um, close to the same rate. And so you're not going to overcook it waiting for the eggs in your bread stuffing to get done. Now, is, is there a way, or what can we invent? Because the other thing the article was saying is that the reason to cook it in the bird is because you get all the drippings. Yeah, yeah. And it affects the flavor of the stuffing versus dressing. And some people say, well, I just drizzle that, some of the um, juice over the top of my dressing yep. to try to get the same flavor. But um, if we're looking for, uh, I'm just thinking about what you did with do with your potatoes and your root vegetables and... and uh, all that kind of thing by putting the bird on top of those. Is there some sort of pan that we can invent? Because I, I don't think you wouldn't want to just set your your bird on top of this. Right. Um, but if you left your uh, well, and and even with the uh, um, even if you left your rack, so the bird is sitting on a rack, it is way too much liquid dripping on this. If you're t- just trying to bake it underneath. So we need some sort of right. pan that's like three-tiered so that it's like the bird sits on top of the, the dressing, which is then over something else so the liquid can drain all the way through, but you don't have to cook it inside the bird. Like a metal version of a bamboo steamer. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to have a very tall oven. Y- yes. <laughs> or like a tamale tower kind of a thing. I suppose you could do it. It would almost be easier if you were doing that to do that in a smoker. Yeah. And, I mean, at this point, it's like you just drizzle some of the stuff on your dressing. It's yeah. like, why? We're, ma- why? We're, we're making this very difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's make stuffing the most difficult stuffing ever. And also, that was a necessity thing, right? Like, that was somebody saying, this turkey is drying out when I'm roasting it in my wood-fired oven because I'm a fucking pilgrim or whatever. What can I put in the cavity of this bird that will soak that liquid up and also stretch this meal out? Let me make more food for not 
as much money or, or resource, whatever. So they would cram a lamb a bunch of stuff in there, and then that would come out. But now the aesthetics of that are so gross because we know we don't need to. Part of our, our psyche is just like, no, we don't, we don't need to fill this bird up with starch because we have all these other starches out now. And also we don't have to conserve space in our ovens as much because we have either multiple ovens or we have plenty of time or whatever. Yeah. And so I feel like the necessity for actually stuffing something into a bird that you're going to eat is probably gone. Now, if you've brined your turkey with sage and oranges and garlic and onions and you want to take some of those things, not necessarily the ones that were in the brine, but some new ones, and put those into your turkey to further flavor it, great. But you're not going to serve them. Right? So yeah. I've also seen I've seen crazy shit where people have stuffed the entire cavity of the turkey with like sausage or with some other thing. Like you could even probably put like par baked potatoes and then cramelam the potatoes in there and they're just going to absorb that liquid too. But you're not going to have to wait an extra hour for them to be done cooking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted a turkey full of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cranberry apple casserole this next one that's a dessert so we don't need to worry about that. Yeah, absolutely uh teas corn pudding i don't know who tea is but we've seen corn pudding before so i'm not yep. worried about that one sweet potato casserole with marshmallows pecans and cornflakes uh they're really we're, we're legitimately the bottom of the barrel now yeah <laughs> uh, i would love it so first off the pecans on this are burnt this is a bad picture the pecans on this are burned because they did not toast up in the oven the way that the food photography thought they were going to and they have blowtorched the top of this and boy especially front and center there is a burned ass pecan right there yes absolutely um if anybody out there really wants to defend marshmallows on sweet potatoes please do get a hold of us because i would like to know but i'm i'm just gonna go ahead and say that it was either a necessity or an accident or a mistake that has been carried across time via nostalgia sauce I blame the marshmallow lobby. Yeah, exactly. Stay puff, motherfuckers. Yeah. Number 47, scalloped oysters. Uh, again, I can't speak too intelligently to baking oysters and stuff. Uh, I've eaten raw oysters. I've had one oyster po' boy when I was in Houston, and it was amazing. But I've never had them baked like in a cream kind of a thing like this. Me, me either. The last one, creamy whipped potato casserole. I mean... You make mashed potatoes, you arrange them in a dish, you bake them real quick. They're like potatoes, Anna. You bake them real quick. I wonder if it's got eggs in it or not. I can't tell. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just a, a different way to serve mashed potatoes. I'm kind of in. I don't mind that. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. I do think it's fine. Like, uh, they didn't save the best for last. It's not the worst. They just saved the last for last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the first picture they showed way up at the top. But, um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's fine. I mean, for me, Thanksgiving table, turkey, obviously, mashed potatoes, obviously, gravy, obviously. <sighs> I believe sweet potatoes are always a thing in my family, but it does feel weird now that I'm saying it out loud to do potatoes and sweet potatoes. After that, everything is sort of wild except for the cranberry sauce. I guess cranberry sauce needs to be on there too. Yeah. But then after that, yeah, looking at all of these different recipes, some of which cross over quite a bit. I get that. They were bulking their list out. Um, what you don't get a lot of because it is the fall, the deep fall in North America is you don't get a lot of fresh 
vegetables. And again, that's that canned green bean thing. Mushrooms are always available. Root vegetables are always available at this time of year. But you're not seeing like yellow squash. You know, you're not seeing like asparagus, stuff like that. Yeah. Now we could. There's no reason to be held um, to those traditions now if you don't want to. Like Thanksgiving can be whatever you want it to be. And it should be. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, make it make it your own. There's no there's no rules. You don't even have to have turkey. Roast a suckling pig. Do your yeah, thing. I've always wanted to do duck for Thanksgiving, but I've just never gotten around to it. So this this year when we did our turkey, um, Kayla got the um, Tony Chattery's injector thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To inject the marinade. Um, and, uh, it was an experiment for us, but it was like, Hey, this, we think it legitimately did make a difference that we could tell. And, uh, it was really good. And, um, but I was, I thought it was funny because I was looking at it afterward and I was like, Oh yeah, it just says Creole butter. So it's like, I'm basically just injecting butter (laughs) into the turkey. So of course it's going to be juicy and delicious. Um, I, uh, but I, my thought was you just need one of those syringes so you can inject, um, other things at various points into into whatever meat that you're you're yeah. cooking i should have probably kept it and then we could inject our mustard marinade into some pork or whatever oh yeah well and i've i've spoken on this show about my traditional approach to turkey which is the legs take longer to cook than the breast does because the bones are another thermal mass they hold on to that cold for longer and so it just takes longer for the legs to cook and then the breast meat is overcooked because you're doing them together so i will do an herb compound butter and roll it into a log in some parchment paper and plastic wrap and freeze it so that I can cut round slices out of it. And then uh, I don't remove the skin over the breast, but I loosen it up so I can get it underneath it. And I'll put those slices of butter underneath there. And it does two things. The butter does kind of melt into the breast meat as it's cooking. And it keeps it a little bit more moist. And also whatever you put in your garlic herb compound butter stays there. So that when you go to slice that turkey, everybody's getting some of that seasoning as well. It's another way to get seasoning into that. It takes a little bit more work, but it works out really, really well. And it makes a beautiful presentation, you know. Yeah. Uh, because we're not going to, or because we are going to my in-laws and we're not doing Thanksgiving here, I now have two turkeys in my freezer because my company always gives us a turkey for all the employees every year. And because my stupid broadliner wouldn't break a case, there was an extra one, so I just took it home. Um, I will probably at some point break these down and do the legs either braised or smoked and then roast the breast because like we'll eat a turkey, a roasted turkey breast. We'll just, we'll eat that at some point, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then we can save the rest for sandwiches because I am such a sucker for a roasted turkey breast day after Thanksgiving, mayo, wheat bread sandwich. That's all I yeah. want. Turkey, mayo, wheat bread. Okay. So this is a segue then into, so Kayla was also just on the Butterball website and and uh, Butterball is kind of killing it in terms of being advocates for, I mean, um, stuff all all year round, doing eating turkey stuff all year round. But I'm with you. I'm like nothing beats for me. It's an open face turkey sandwich, like next day, leftover mashed potatoes, gravy. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Like t- toast the bread, throw all that on there, and gravy. Yeah. Y- yeah, it's just yeah the bread gets soggy. You can't just pick it up and eat it like a sandwich. But I don't know what it is about that that I just love that stuff. Yeah. But. Um, we actually tried this. Oh, I gotta find it. I'm on not. There we go. Um, the uh, we we did this with our leftover stuffing, and this is what I said was reminding me of, uh, or why I wondered about making a crust out of, um, 
the the stuffing. So we got out our little waffle waffle maker because this is from Butterball. It is a stuffing waffle sandwich. Nice. Um, yeah, the picture of that is gorgeous. And we um, you we put the stuff. You mix it. Put an egg in with your stuffing. Um, for to for as a binder, and then you put it in the waffle maker, and you put it in the waffle maker for a decent amount of time. Like it yeah. was more than the waffle maker would have, more than you would have a, a waffle. And um, that's what you use then as the bread for your, uh, and you just throw whatever else you want in there from your leftovers. And it was really good. It um, looked it looked hearty. It looked like you would eat that, and then you would spend the next ten hours out in the fields. You know, it's not a it's not a light dish by any means. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, but I mean, it's, it's basically everything. It's it's your whole uh, um, turkey thing. Uh, you know, yeah. your whole Thanksgiving dinner all kind of wrapped up into one. But uh, uh, yeah, it was it was it was decently good. And I think they have Butterball has all kinds of other things, but it also reminded me of your stories from Necky about throwing things in the waffle maker. That's was like, I think maybe someone working at Butterball was around you when you were at Necky. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. We made the chicken nacho waffles at one point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard that story at one point during my culinary school, uh, we were very drunk and it was very late <laughs> at night and we were starving and everything was closed and we tried to figure out what the hell we could make. And when you have culinary students who are, in their cups and they're having a good time and they get hungry they get creative and so we figured out that we didn't have enough of anything in any of the fridges to make like all things so we made this weird amalgam where we made a savory waffle batter that we seasoned as though it was tacos right so chili powder uh, smoked paprika cumin pepper stuff like that and we shredded up because we had like half of a shred half of a roasted chicken we shredded chicken up into that batter made waffles out of it and then we're putting salsa in all the little holes and we thought we were fucking geniuses and <laughs> that memory is so crystalline for me and it's so perfect that i've never tried to remake that because i don't want to find out that it was awful and we liked it just because we were drunk you know yeah <laughs> waffle makers again criminally underutilized as a cooking piece of equipment because just doing waffles in there is silly yeah well, it, it, and it was, uh, I mean, I, it, I don't know if it was life-changing, but it was like, this is, you know, this is really good. And like I said, it did remind me of uh, of that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't have to be a thing that just makes waffles. Because yeah. that wasn't a waffle by any means. It was it was stuffing, Yeah, you know. But uh, Well, and there's a guy I follow on Instagram who he, he, like, will make a tomato soup. And then he'll make a grilled cheese sandwich but put it in a waffle maker and then cut it into strips. And it's perfect for dipping into the tomato soup. No reason not to make a grilled cheese sandwich in a waffle maker. Is that because it like ca- captures the soup in the little uh, yeah, in waffle little waffle pockets? Yeah. <laughs> nice. What are you going to a... pick? Waffle pockets. <laughs> That's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I love yeah, it. so I mean, we can and I believe we have done a whole episode just about Thanksgiving leftovers. But like one of the things for me, I'm not much of a sweet and savory at the same time kind of guy. And so the idea of putting cranberry sauce into that sandwich that you showed me, not my thing. I would do everything but the cranberry sauce. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the picture, well, I, I did put the cranberry sauce in mine. Um, but, uh, and the picture, they've thrown everything at it, it yeah. looks like. Because they've got green beans, cranberries, gravy, turkey um, uh, on the on the stuffing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, whatever whatever leftovers you have that you think are sandwich worthy or i mean i don't know do we call this a sandwich yes i um, mean stuffing's made out of bread anyway true true 
Um, so and and uh, I I think Kayla put um, she even she put mustard on her waffle part before she nice made the sandwich. Some of the spicy some from the mustard museum. Some of our spicy nice. mustard. Nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, hers was even more of a sandwich probably than than mine with my. Well, I mean mine was still a sandwich. I just put some of the slices of the canned cranberry stuff on there. <laughs> <laughs> but. I like as as much as you know as a trained culinary professional I want to take shots at the ocean spray can of cranberry sauce. I also just don't like cranberry sauce, so I'm the wrong one to talk about that thing anyway. Like I can't criticize that thing cuz I don't like when people make cranberry sauce and they're like, "Oh, I cooked cranberries with oranges and sugar and all this." I still don't like it. It's just not my thing. <laughs> I'll eat dried cranberries all day. Cranberry sauce I just don't like it. And so for me to be like, and I don't like that thing in the can. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing I don't like. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't like Nickelback and I don't like them live either. I'm like, well, okay, (laughs) that's the same thing. Uh, That's another thing that I think is very, um, it's in the same, um, if we're doing a line, not like a Venn diagram, but like a line, a spectrum. Sure. It's on the green bean casserole side of the spectrum, the ca- the can of cranberry stuff. It's like yeah. a lot of that is nostalgia, um, of that the sliced round, <laughs> um, the cranberry stuff. Uh, I've just never known what to do with it otherwise because I was never super into it. Like yeah. growing up, it was always there. But then the uh, here's where I think w- what happened to me as well, and maybe this also happened to you. You used to get beets the same way. Yep. And I think at one point in my life, I thought beets were cranberries or vice versa. <laughs> and it was a rude awakening of my palate. But uh, so I, we've we, one or the other has been a part of a lot of family things, either the beets or the, the cranberry stuff. But I've never really known what to do with the, with the cranberry stuff. So I throw it, I throw it on my sandwich. And I, I mean, I, like I said, the sandwich was very good. But also that's, that's my way of eating the, <laughs> the, the cranberry stuff because I don't know what to do with it otherwise. As I'm thinking about it, I don't know what cranberries are for, right? <laughs> like, in a culinary sense or in a nutrition sense or in really, like, a social sense, like, why are cranberries? <laughs> it does – it's – because I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, why Why did somebody make a sauce out of them? Why, you know, is are cranberries a, a juice thing? Because generally when you, you're like, okay, well, I found this thing in a can. At some point, somebody decided to put that in a can as a method of preservation because they had too much of it. Why were they making cranberries to begin with? And why is there such a glut of them that at some point the cranberry council had to be like, fucking sell this somehow. And some guy named Roger was like, let's tell everybody it's a Thanksgiving thing. And they were like, perfect, gold. Roger, you get a promotion. <laughs> and it turned into that because I don't know. Like, I don't know why cranberries have to be a thing. Why are cranberries any sort of a thing? Yeah. It's not a subsistence food. It's not like some some group of people that was there. It's not like corn, right? At some point, there was there were Native American tribes, indigenous people in this in this continent, who were surviving almost entirely on corn. Same thing with rice. Like, there's all these subsistence foods. But for the amount of cranberries and for the importance that have been put on them that exist in this country, like... I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Like, what the hell is the history of cranberries? Why are cranberries? That's the question. Why are cranberries? I'm sure, I mean, Ocean Spray could probably tell us, but it's also interesting because they're the only thing I can think of that are grown in a bog. Yeah. Although they may not be... not that sound cool at all. <laughs> they might not be boggy all year round, but they are called cran- cranberry bogs, right? Yep. So that is that is interesting. 
Because then, like, um, every everything that's processed the way that... Because you don't just get cranberries, right? So, like, you get an apple, but you can also have apple juice and applesauce and whatever. But, like, the idea is that you have apples. Same thing with all berries. Same, you know, but, like, you don't just go, oh, I'm going to go eat a handful of cranberries. Like, it's a, it's a product that only is useful in all of these processed ways. Like, dried. Like, cranberry sauce. Like, cranberry juice. I just wonder at what point somebody was like, I'm going to grow this thing that then requires a lot more work. <laughs> yeah. I I will tell you, the my the, I think the best application of cranberries I've encountered has been uh, Kayla's family's cranberry pumpkin bread. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or pumpkin cranberry bread. Because they, they just, they're, they're such a nice little pop of uh, tart in in the, the cranberry bread. It's interesting. So... I, for the faculty breakfast at the school, I get five different varieties of muffin batter that come in as a frozen product. But, you know, truth time, ladies and gentlemen, I don't make the muffin batter from scratch. I don't care. <laughs> right? I get in a pretty good product and I bake it fresh. That's that's my that's that's the the part that I do. We get a blueberry muffin. We get a double chocolate muffin. We get a lemon poppy seed. We get an apple cinnamon, and we get a cranberry orange. If I right now went up to my kitchen to make a cranberry orange muffin, I'm using dried cranberries because they're nice. This particular batter has whole cranberries in it, and that nobody eats them. <laughs> nobody <laughs> eats those muffins. Like those, I can put out all five varieties of muffins, and those ones are untouched because nobody wants to eat a whole ass cranberry. <laughs> I don't understand that product now that I'm thinking about it. It's well, you know, and recently I think I've seen some articles that are like, you know, cranberry juice isn't as good for your UTI as you might think. So maybe somewhere along the line, it's one of those things where, again, like you said, the cranberry council is like, you know what? If people think this is a health thing, they're going to buy it, right? And and that it wormed its way into society that way, and it's just stuck around. People know that the cranberry juice to UTI is you're supposed to drink the cranberry juice and not just like cramolam it up in you, right? Because that's not going to help. I hope so. <laughs> okay. I mean, I speaking of that, that injector needle, like that's not the right oh, way to do that. Oh, that's not oh, the right way to do that at all. Oh, oh. <laughs> I quite enjoy cranberry juice. Don't get me wrong, but like my my brain is breaking right now because why would you intentionally grow something that you're not eating fresh that has to have and not even like you're growing say zucchini, which you're going to sell to somebody and they have to do something with it. No, who buys fresh cranberries? Like who is out there going? I need a handful of fresh cranberries to snack on right now. Like, that's not a thing. Well, the, I don't get I, it. I think it was, this is what I think it was. Uh, where where are cranberries? Are they indigenous to North America? Are they anywhere else? I think it's North America and I think it's the Northeast. Okay. So you got your white ass colonials over yep. here and they're just rummaging through the forest and you've got like four of them or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, pilgrim number one eats this berry over here, dies <laughs> Pilgrim number two eats that berry over there and dies. Th- number three um, e- eats uh, something off another bush and dies. And the fourth one's like, well, I'll give it a go. It has a cranberry. He's like, I didn't die. These are great. <laughs> right. just, uh, just because he didn't die, even though it's super bitter and gross, he was like, well, keeping this one. Yeah, I can, this, I can eat this. We're taking it everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll get accosted by the cranberry council after this and they'll have all sorts of propaganda for us i don't know is there a <laughs> yeah. cranberry museum we should go there i mean is the if so if it is native is there any application for the native peoples in the cranberry growing regions for for cranberries no idea 
I would love to learn, though. Yeah, we're going to have to do some cranberry research. It's our new Thanksgiving thing. Tune in next year. <laughs> okay. Wisconsin Cranberry Discovery Center and Cranberry Country Cafe in Warren's, Wisconsin. How far of a drive is that? That seems like a mustard museum type of uh, an exploration. Three hours and 20 minutes. Hey, it's within your five-hour window. <laughs> it really is. It's not as far as Eau Claire. It's close to La Crosse. Uh, it's open now. Huh. Maybe our next trip is to a cranberry museum, Steve. Yeah. We just walked through the door. We have so many questions. <laughs> I do love... So Google Maps does this thing where they're like, popular times to you know let you know whether or not you want to go there. Apparently right now, a little busy. <laughs> Don't know what well, that this, means. I would imagine that like, as far as... you know, When I worked in the theme parks down in Florida, there was peak season. This, I would yeah. think, would be peak season for the Cranberry Discovery Center. There is also a Cranberry Museum and gift shop in Long Beach, Washington. That's outside of my range. Yeah, a little bit more than a five-hour drive. New Jersey has a lot of cranberry bogs that you can go to, not quite like you pick, but like apple uh, orchards, apparently. Interesting. So do you think like their school field trip, instead of going to the cider press, they're going to the cranberry press? So in the South Jersey Pine Barrens, you can book tours at the White's Bog Cranberry Harvest. Interesting. I don't know that I want to do that much. Like, maybe I'll drive to Wisconsin to learn about cranberries, but not uh, go to Jersey. <laughs> I wonder, I know one of the aerial Americas, they're, they fly over when they're harvesting cranberries, and it just looks like, you know, blood red uh, water. I mean, the process is actually fascinating because they flood the bog, and then they have the cranberry beater. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, will go through and, like, whack the cranberry bushes and then the, the, all the berries float because they have that little bit of air in the middle. Right. Um, and so they it just basically whacks all the cranberry things and the cranberries pop off and float. And then they uh, um, use things like you would to contain an oil spill <laughs> to push all the cranberries over to like one corner where the uh, harvester thing is that's sucking the, the cranberries in the water out and then, you know, keeping the cranberries in ditch in the water. It's fascinating. Yeah. I don't get it. I would love somebody to explain to me the purpose and history of cranberries. I mean, surely the biggest percentage, the largest percentage of cranberries are going toward juice, right? Gotta be. That and, and craisins. Yeah. Which I still think was a bad marketing. Like, dried cranberries, that's fine. You can just leave it at that. Unless right. they were paying by the letter. I guess that's a shorter word. But, yeah, weird. The, you know what? It was probably the marketing thing initially was, I'm going crazy for craisins. <laughs> and then eventually yeah. like, that's stupid. Let's just call them craisins. And it's like, that's also kind of stupid. Yeah. Well, Steve, that's pretty much all I have to say about Thanksgiving. Although I am very much looking forward to not roasting my in-laws necessarily, but reporting back on how this Thanksgiving meal goes. Because the other thing about hosting Thanksgiving is that it should make you nervous, right? There's a lot of ways to have things go wrong have uh people get sick which obviously we don't want to have so sanitation's a big deal around thanksgiving time and temperature issues you want to make sure everything's hot at the same time it's hard to do it's hard to do a meal like this um we went to my sister's house a couple of years ago for thanksgiving now it's pre-pandemic so like probably five years ago where we were told to arrive at five dinner would be at six and dinner was like fucking 8 30 because they just oh. didn't 
My brother-in-law didn't know how to cook a turkey. I don't know if he does now. I don't really talk to that guy. So, different family. Um, it's now actually become a joke where we wonder if that turkey is still cooking right now. It's been like five years. <laughs> but my sister-in-law and brother-in-law in St. Louis are practiced at this. So I don't expect that there's going to be any terrible drama or anybody's going to get hurt. I think it's going to be fine. And I love that they're essentially running it like a potluck. How much fun is that? That's going to be great. How long would you have to cook a turkey at 250 degrees? A very long time. <laughs> Six. Next year we'll have Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the, people go back and forth and there are benefits to both things, but you always want to cook a turkey at two different temperatures, right? So you're either throwing it in the oven at like 450 and then dropping the temperature right away because as soon as you put the turkey in, it's going to start absorbing heat. And so the temperature in your oven is going to drop off, right? Or what I like to do is put the turkey in at like 375 and then in the last little bit, crank the temperature up so that you can crisp up the skin because you want to have that kind of control. Yeah. Uh, but you want to really get a good thermometer you trust and just know that it's going to take longer than you think it is. Yeah. There's a lot of guides online that are like, oh, it's 15 minutes per pound or whatever. Like, find a recipe you like. Find, make sure you get an oven thermometer that goes into the turkey, but also one that, like, tells you what the temperature of the oven is, and you'll be fine. Nice. Or do a ham, which is already cooked, and you just need to warm it up. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> even cold ham is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have ham sandwiches the next day instead of turkey sandwiches. Everybody wins. Can you ham a turkey? You can't I, cure poultry the same way that you do. I don't know. Probably? I mean, smoked turkey breast. What's the difference between smoked turkey breast for a sandwich and ham? The difference is not that great, you know? It's salty and smoky. Yeah. But, I mean, you don't see, like, turkeys hanging in Italian uh, uh, meat markets or whatever True. where they're, you know, like, you've got your aged prosciutto or whatever. Yeah, no, the things that live on poultry, you want to keep those to a minimum, right? Yeah. So, like, you got to be way more refrigerator-style careful with those. Could you pack it in a bucket of salt? What do they do with that? What Like, is that a ham that they do that to? Yeah, like prosciutto or serrano, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know because the protein structure of, da of dairy, of, prot of, of uh, poultry is so much looser that you're going to take out so much more water at a time that you're going to get. <laughs> you're going to mummify a turkey. Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> turkey jerky, I guess that's what you end up with. That's the way you do it. Dirk Berkeley's turkey jerky. <laughs> All right, Steve. I feel like that's, in as much as we do a Thanksgiving show every year, I feel like that's all the new stuff I have to say about Thanksgiving. I'm also yeah. surprised we've only gotten to the what the hell are cranberries now, because it's probably like <laughs> the eighth show we've done of this topic. It's probably been eating at you in the back of your mind this whole time, <laughs> and it's just finally bubbled to the surface. One of our books, I mean, finding a body floating in a uh, cranberry bog, that picture would be amazing. Yeah. The overhead picture. So we might have to have a cranberry bog murder mystery. So what would we call that? Would that be uh, cran body sauce? Ooh. Or is it uh, cranberry body? There's a few options we could go there. Cran body of evidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. Um, ooh, bogged down. <laughs> oh yes uh, i mean is the town that these books are set in called bogs down it's a cranberry harvesting new england town 
I mean, there could be a whole series that's just, yeah, Cranberry Town based. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I now I have a notebook because every so often things will pop into my head about the structure of these books that you want us to write and i'll just jot some stuff down so one of these days maybe over christmas break when i've got some free time i'll start to compile that stuff awesome we can start working on it good we'll see all right steve (laughs) that's that's everything i've got to say about thanksgiving i feel like cool ditto all right ladies and gentlemen if you have any information let's say you come from a cranberry family uh, we would love to learn more about that, you know, before we end up at the Cranberry Museum. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where you can see a chocolate and almond butter bread that I made yesterday uh, because I'm trying to improve on the Twix bread. Guess what? Not an improvement. Not bad, but I hate to say it. The Twix bread was better. <laughs> um, my. Oh, we have a. Uh, facebook page and a facebook group if you just search for in the weeds with ben randall and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com where if you wanted to follow along i should have said this to begin with steve always puts the articles up that we talk about so you'd be able to see all the pictures of the like 15 different cornbread stuffings that we just talked about uh which are not all that different um (laughs) but yeah i feel like that's all i've got today steve yeah me too for in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall and i'm stephen cadwell we'll talk at you next week Bye-bye.